Hello, and welcome to the All Saints Podcast. I'm Hugh Cole. Today, our final episode, for now, of our series, Calling. To finish the series, we have Will Schaeferman. Will was formerly a priest at the Falls Church in Northern Virginia and is now pursuing what he calls a contemplative life in Birmingham, Alabama. I hope you enjoy. Well, Will, thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Hugh. It seems like you've experienced a couple of callings in your life already. And if it's okay, I'd love to talk to you about the first one first. And that was your calling to to the priesthood, to be an Anglican priest for a number of years. Where were you in your life when that calling struck you? You know, I actually was back down here in Birmingham. Um, <clears throat> we recently moved back from Virginia to Birmingham about six months ago. Uh, we're back, and and yet six years before that, we were here for four years out of college. Um, and fresh out of college, I was working a job to pay the bills and support my wife. And as I was maybe two years into that, so I worked one job with a bank for four years. Two years in, I I began to read into an, a, an area of the Christian faith that I wasn't as familiar with. Leanne Payne about healing prayer. And then really the book that really opened something up for me new was The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And really between those two authors and a few others, a theme of the presence of God kept coming up. And I was really curious about that because I thought, well, isn't the presence of God everywhere? I began to realize that, that yes, that's true. God is is everywhere. And yet uh, he makes himself known to us in ways that are sweet and tender and um, fatherly. And so I was encouraged as I was thinking through these things by a mentor uh, to develop a practice of cultivating a sense of God's presence in my life. And within a few weeks, I found myself getting up super early in the morning so I could spend just two hours sitting at my desk in utter silence, inviting the Lord's presence to be with me and to sit with Him. And that experience of knowing and feeling and tasting the goodness of my Heavenly Father uh, was was world shattering. It was, it was, it was utterly transformative. Um, I, I think for the first time, I, I really knew in a way that I, I didn't know before um, God's love. Um, and <clears throat> so it was in those times that I just, I began to get this sense that whatever this is, um, not only do I want to keep doing it, <laughs> but I, I want others to be able to know that it's possible to know God's love in such a profound and intimate way. So that's really the root of my sense of calling to the priesthood. It was a, a few years after that that I really made the trek towards seminary and, and got on the ordination track. So that transition between sort of the, the feeling the presence of God and then re- really making that what is a fairly uh, big decision to commit yourself over to the priesthood in particular, was that a, a fairly easy transition or was that one that took a lot of discernment? It certainly took a lot of discernment. Um so that was 2012 that I really first began to experience those things. And it wasn't until two years later that we moved up to Virginia to pursue seminary. So during those two years after that experience, I I talked to a whole host of different people. I was considering a lot of other trajectories at the time as well. But really what clinched it for me was my childhood pastor. I had a conversation with him on the phone 
one evening and um, just was explaining some of the things I'd been thinking about. And, you know, I asked him, how would you describe your role as a priest? How would you describe that? Because I respected this man. I, I thought highly of him, still do. And he described it in a couple different capacities. But one of the things that stood out to me uh, was he said, you know, of all the things I do, one of the most important things is to listen. I listen to where God is going and what's, what he's doing at our church and how he's leading. And I try to try to walk with him in that. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds a lot like what I've been doing recently. And that at the end of our conversation, <laughs> he prayed, uh, Lord, I, I pray selfishly that if, if Will is called the priesthood, that he would uh, pursue that. And um, it just put a little seed in my heart and it, that just began to continue to develop. And, you know, about a year after that, we, we moved up to Virginia for me to pursue uh, working at that same church, the Falls Church Anglican, and, and to pursue seminary studies at the same time. When he prayed for you in that way, was prayer something that had been instilled in you and that was a real part or solid foundation in your life already? Or was that sort of the beginning of a prayer life for you that's sort of developed from that time forward? It's a great question. I think, you know, my prayer life is, has gone through various iterations over the course of my walk with the Lord. I would say that Early on, it was very, um, I suppose, typically evangelical. It was very one-to-one personal uh, supplication-oriented, I suppose. And then, and then I had this experience a couple of years out of college where a lot of it was just listening prayer. A lot of it was resting in the presence of God and realizing that that, that too is prayer. Um, and then a, a few years after that, prayer for me expanded into the liturgy. Uh, I didn't really fully comprehend the importance of that in one's walk with the Lord. And at the time that I really encountered the liturgy afresh in seminary, it came at a time where I was just ready for it. And I don't think I would have been ready for it a few years before that. But I sort of talked about, I had sort of an evangelical conversion and then a charismatic conversion, a very quiet charismatic conversion, and then finally a Orthodox or Catholic conversion toward the end of the liturgy. But when were you first introduced to Jesus? When did he first enter your life? So, uh, you know, when I was in preschool, <laughs> I, I uh, distinctly remember being invited to invite the Lord into my life. And I remember doing that when I was about four years old. I remember that, you know, of course, it was watered and, and grew over the next several years. I think a, a flashpoint for me was sixth grade when I went up to uh, a camp up on Martha's Vineyard and uh, experienced, I think, a, a real new form of discipleship and understanding that God really did want me for his own. And I began to respond to that in ways that I hadn't with my early childhood faith. And then really, it wasn't until I would say college that what was growing at the time throughout my childhood became my own. Um, I think it wasn't until my junior year that I I really appropriated uh, the faith that had been encouraged in me um, and I had indeed received, and yet I don't know if it had come to full maturity in me until junior year of college. How did it look different before that and after that appropriation or after that, you know, taking over? I'll try to give a very brief context. I One of the things I grew up in, in my childhood with was a case of a severe case of Tourette syndrome. Um, and that was both a <clears throat> sort of a thorn in my side, but also around my sophomore year in high school, 
uh, I had a profound experience of healing of that from junior year on. Whereas before, uh, socially, I, I would say I was on the fringes. Um, and, and now that I didn't have this social impediment, junior, senior year of high school, the first couple of years of college, I was effectively making up for lost time um, <laughs> and uh, try, trying to fit in where I hadn't before. And that sort of just be, began to derail pretty quickly. And it was the it was the end of my sophomore year of college that the Lord really grabbed hold of me. And that's that was that sort of transition into my junior year. And I'd say before that, I was just trying to I was trying to live in a way that was not sustainable, trying to live two different lives. And when the Lord really grabbed hold of me in, in college, I it was this new freedom. It was the first time I think I really realized that Christianity meant freedom. I'd heard it, but I'd not really known it. And I think that was when it really clicked. And from that point on, uh, it was, I think, a month after that transition between sophomore and junior year of college, I met my wife. She was a huge, huge player in God's economy of getting me toward him and uh, and has continued to be so ever since. It's interesting you use the word freedom because I think a lot of people that are not Christians or that look at the Christian faith from the outside uh, I know Nicky Gumbel has talked about this in some of his writings and his conversations about the fact that before he became a Christian, he looked at it as essentially lots of rules and regulations and things that you were forced to do that you didn't really want to do, sort of the opposite of freedom. But the more that you talk to Christians like yourself that are walking that journey, that word freedom really does come up almost invariably with, with each one. Um, what, um, what did your Sundays look like in your house growing up? Yeah, Sundays we were we were church going family. So we whether whether we were kicking and screaming or or docile and willing, uh, we we drove over the church about ten minutes from our house, and then that afternoon was t- tended to be fairly restful. I don't think we would have said we were had a sort of a Sabbatarian family, but we certainly saw Sundays as a time to be uh, with each other and with friends and other extended family and. You know, it was it was, an, it was it was never it never felt like an obligation so much to go to church. It just sort of felt like this is what we do. And and I think looking back on it, and you just you see the the seeds of the seeds of that that were planted, and and just you you feel grateful for those who made those decisions uh, to bring us there every Sunday. How do you deal with doubt in your faith? It's a great question. Well, you know, I think at, at moments I just sort of tuck it under. Sometimes I don't face it or I don't, it feels too intimidating at times if I, if I really am willing to engage those doubts. But I think in the times where I've been braver than that, a lot of it has to do with community. Um, I think I, I often will share those doubts with my wife or with close friends. And I think just recognizing that doubt for most Christians that I know is, is a factor, um, whether it's one that uh, we acknowledge or not. And I think whenever I do have an opportunity to share whatever those doubts are in the current season, I'm always struck by how resonant those are with the ones to whom I've, I've shared that and uh, and how how that opens up a new dimension in our relationship. So I would say through through friendships and relationships, and of course, of course, prayer and engaging with the Lord in scripture. But I think I think realizing that we're just, we're, we are weak people <laughs> and recognizing that it's okay. And in fact, it's probably something that we should understand as part of the process of walking with God. Now you've taken on this new endeavor called the Married Monk. What is the Married Monk? Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, you know, the a year and a half ago was when Ashley and I first had sort of this light bulb that went off that eventually led to us making the decision to step down from my active role at the Falls Church and to move back down south to create space for, particularly in my situation, to be able to explore what I would refer to as the contemplative life, the contemplative side of the Christian faith in ways that I I was longing to explore. And I think hadn't had as much oxygen or sunlight to let those things come to the fore in my life. And so when we were talking about, well, okay, what would that actually look like, Will? Like, what would you do on a daily basis if we were to make this major transition in our lives? And I thought, okay, I'd, I'd really love to study. There are some particular theological things that I really wanted to study. But I, I wanted to, you know, if you think about a monk's life, a, a traditional monk, you think all right, they have a rhythm of prayer. They have um, some time set aside every day for study. Uh, they um, are engaged in some form of service or work, um, and it, th- there's a, a real rhythm that that uh, beats the drum of their life. And those those were all things that were very attractive to me. And so as we were talking about it, I, I said, you know, I feel like the, the the one phrase that really coins what I feel like I'm called to do in this next season is to be a married monk. The married part's the most <laughs> important part of that because it's the great qualifier. I, I certainly uh, I certainly can't live the same kind of strict uh, rhythm or rule of life that a, a monk would. But in my own way and in my own station in life, I I feel called to live out those aspects in some kind of rhythm and and to really sink back into if as we said earlier a couple years out of college uh, i experienced the lord's presence in ways that i didn't know was possible i think part of this sense of calling in this new season is meant to recultivate some of that and um, and to ultimately to invite others to experience it in the same way does the new calling feel or look like the old calling? Is it very different? Is it the same? How does it how does it feel and look? It's a great question. Still trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> but I would say that prior to seminary, prior to working at the church, I think my sense of the contemplative life was very small. Getting into some theological exposure in seminary, as well as uh, just walking with people in the humdrum of life in the pastoral capacity that um, I began to, I, I think that the, my understanding of the contemplative, contemplative life expanded. Certainly my call, my sense of call to the church, the false church um, was, was very direct and I felt very strongly about it. Um, and what I was doing on a practical level, I think is very different from this new season of the call um, but I think at back of it, there's a great uh, commonality, and that is wanting to myself to, to give myself over to the Lord and, and to know his love, but also to invite others to experience the same. And so while my day-to-day at the church, uh, that looked uh, like administration in some capacities, it looked like preaching, it looked like one-on-one pastoral counseling, uh, it looked like teaching courses. And this season, I think uh, a lot of it is more heavily geared towards solitude. I think there will be a time when whatever the Lord is laying on my heart that I'm still trying to understand in full uh, w- will 
<clears throat> culminate in more active ministry, if you will, uh, more one-to-one personal ministry. I think right now he's calling me to a season of stillness and listening, a season of waiting, and uh, be- which is which is uh, naturally very difficult for me. I tend to want to be active and I tend to want to make something of myself by what I do. Um, so it's a real discipline for me to, to be in this season where I'm really waiting and listening and asking God what he wants. And it's interesting amongst that, uh, that time period, as we talked about before we started the interview, you've done a lot of moving around physically over the last, uh, last year or so. And I'm wondering if you've gained any wisdom during the time of physically being in different places, how that physical transformation or how that physical location where you are in the world has informed the spiritual aspect of your life in different ways as you've sort of moved from place to place? Great question. I actually wrote a post on this on my blog, themarriedmonk.com, not too long ago uh, called Homesickness. And um, we were living with my mother and father-in-law for for just over six months, starting in August until about a month ago. And um, it was what what we thought would be maybe a few months at the outset, and it turned into a longer period of time. And it was truly wonderful to have them and their help as we had our second child in September. And uh, they're just wonderful grandparents and wonderful uh, mother and father-in-law. Um, but the reality was that we, we knew that eventually we needed our own space. And um, there's this one evening in uh, just after Christmas, it was sort of a dark wintry night. And um, I had run out to the store to grab a few things to cook for dinner. And I walked through their garage into the driveway where my car was parked. And as I walked, I, I noticed to my left something that had become too familiar at that point, which was uh, all of our belongings stacked ceiling high uh, throughout the whole garage, <laughs> um, or at least one side of it. Um, it probably could have been two or three storage units, but it was just, you know, it was just piled on top of each other. And um, it had been there now for at that point, five months or so. And I had sort of resolved to submit to the reality of our situation. But I think that the almost the pain or the sorrow of a dream that we had sort of launched out on to come down here uh, and had become delayed and deferred. The sorrow of that, I think, really hit home to me in that moment. I was, I was just so pierced, uh, and it was, it was elicited by the sight of those belongings, still waiting to be um, unpacked and sorted and organized in our new house. And I think being, being in that place, literally, physically, um, and I think emotionally and spiritually, um, I think it really it, it stripped away. I hope, and I think it did it stripped away. A little bit more of my grip on um, the things of this life. I think it really it refined us in such a way that we we just loosened our grip a bit more on our plans and our um, our hopes and aspirations, not letting them go because we felt like God had called us down here, um, but not clenching so tightly onto them that they that they made who we made us for who we are. Um, so I think I think being in a in a season of limbo really, and I, and I suspect a lot of people can probably relate to that. Over this last year, uh, we had our own version of it, but I think being in that place of limbo, um, it just really it helped us to let go a little bit more. Uh, you write in one of your blog posts about 
and this is a this is a quote the thin places in creation where heaven seems to break in thing i pictured was a when you hold a piece of paper up to a light, you can kind of see the, the light behind it and you know that it's there, but you, depending on how close or far you hold the piece of paper away, you can sort of make it out or, or not. Um, but put it into your own words. What, what were you trying to, to describe by that phrase and, and how, um, how does it sort of fit into your, into your life? Yeah, it's great. Another great question. I, I the last sermon I preached before stepping down at the false church was, um, a sermon on the kingdom of God. And I pulled into that sermon a quote from C.S. Lewis's uh, essay, The Weight of Glory, where he <clears throat> he's talking about those moments in our lives where, similar to what I just described, where you know we're pierced either with joy or sorrow, but it, it seems like the veneer, the, the, the numbness with which we walk around often so much in life just falls off and we're exposed to some kind of strong and vivid and real emotion. Uh, he thinks, and I think he's, he's, got a, he's got a good point. He thinks that those are moments where we're, we come face to face or as close as we can on this side of the kingdom uh, to, to the kingdom that lies behind what we can see. And I think the thin places, which often the, the Celtish Christians would would talk about, the, you know, they were talking about it in terms of actual physical places on earth where you could walk to, you'd go in the woods and there'd be this one spot where they they would encounter maybe God's presence more strongly. I think in a more metaphorical sense, I think, you know, you're, you're sitting at a cafe in Europe and you've got a beautiful, lovely wife across the table from you and you're looking out on a beautiful vista and you've got a cup of espresso in hand and time sort of slows down and stops and and everything just feels right in that moment and it, you you feel like if you could if you could just sort of have that all the time <laughs> then 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 life would be right um and of course you can't those those times are are more like manna but i think god gives us those those little glimpses into a sort of kingdom like normalcy um that Th- those experiences where, where things slow down and we're, we're brought face to face with beauty, um, with something transcendent. Uh, it could be any number of experiences, but I think those are those places that I want to cue into more. Those are the places that I want to pray that God would um, open my eyes to see more, because I think the more that I see them, uh, the, the more I behold not only his beauty, um, but the beauty of the world to come. This uh, may be the eternal question, but why do you think they are so? few and far between and, 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 and thin, why aren't they big gaping holes that appear to us over and over and over again? Yeah, that is the eternal question. I, you know, I, there are probably several answers. I know there are several answers. The, the one that comes immediately to mind is, I was reading the other day, and I think it was Matthew's gospel, where Jesus is asked by his apostles, you know, why do you speak in parables? Um, why not just be obvious about it? Why not be free and clear? Um, and he gives such a strange answer. You know, he says, you know, to use being given the knowledge of the kingdom, um, but for those for those without ears to hear, uh, even if I were to speak plainly to them, uh, they wouldn't hear it. And that's a that's a really it's a hard word, um, and one that I still uh, struggle with in different capacities. But um, 
I think that the hiddenness of God, which is a, a strain of theology throughout the church for hundreds of years now, the hiddenness of God, the the way that he doesn't at the moment doesn't really seem to reveal himself just loud and clear, doesn't just sort of come down from heaven and have coffee with us every day. And and you know, he, he he wills himself to be found by those who seek after him. There's a there's a great paradox in that. I do think that there is some sense in which volition plays a role uh, in our relationship with God. Moses turns to to look at the burning bush before God speaks out to him. Um, if he doesn't turn, if he doesn't say to himself, I will turn aside and see this great sight, does God speak to him? I don't know. That's That's the question. But he turns and he volitionally acts and God responds. And uh, that's a great, a great mystery again, but there seems to be something in that. Thank you again to Will Schaeferman for speaking with me today. And thank you to all of you who have listened to this special series. We've had the benefit of hearing from a lot of different voices over the last several weeks, and we've heard a lot of different journeys in faith. But amongst those different journeys, there have been some interesting common threads. First, Discernment of one's calling is most beneficial when it's shared with others, not just for the advice that those around us have to give, but for the deepening of the relationships with those we choose to share with. Secondly, almost invariably, mentors play a prominent role in a priest's life as they take those important steps towards a new life. I hope that you've enjoyed the series and that you could take something from it to apply to the pursuit of your own calling. We would love to make this a semi-regular offering, so if there is anyone that you think of that would be good to talk to, please let us know. As always, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. I hope you have a great week, and God bless.